From 1839 until 1842, Great Britain and China fought what we now know as the First Anglo-Chinese War. Or, another name for that is the First Opium War because the fight came about largely because of the Chinese wanting to stop the spread of opium by seizing it from British traders. Meanwhile, Britain didn't really like how China was handling the British traders, so war broke out. When that conflict ended, Britain gained a larger foothold in China through the Treaty of Nanking. In addition to the Chinese seceding the island of Hong Kong to the British, there were five ports set up under British control to appease their trade demands. It didn't really work, but for the purpose of our story today, that's important because one of those ports set up by the Treaty of Nanking was the Shanghai International Settlement. It was here on November 15, 1930, that James Graham Ballard was born to British parents. Seven years later, Japan launched their full-scale attack on China. Then, of course, we know it was soon after this that the rest of the world was thrust into war. After World War II, James would grow up to become a well-known author. His first novel, called The Wind from Nowhere, was published in 1961, and that was the first of many sci-fi books that James would write. But then, in 1984, James published his 11th novel, and it was quite a bit different than his usual novels filled with a science fiction and dystopian future. Thanks to the 1987 movie of the same name that introduced many in the world to a young Christian Bale, J.G. Ballard's novel that the movie was based on would go on to become his most popular. And even though Empire of the Sun was a fictional novel, there's some real history in there, as it was based on J.G. Ballard's own experience as he grew up in the Shanghai International Settlement during Japanese occupation. I'm Dan Lefebvre, and this is based on a true story. Before we begin our story today, let's set up our game, Two Truths and a Lie. Now, if you're new to the show, here's how it works. I'm about to say three things, and two of them are true, which means one of them is a lie. Are you ready? Okay, here they are. Number one. James wasn't separated from his family before going to the internment camp. Number two, the Japanese took over the Shanghai International Settlement right after the attack on Pearl Harbor. Number three, Basie was killed soon after arriving at the internment camp. Got him? Okay, now as you're listening to the story today, you'll find the two facts scattered somewhere throughout the episode, and then by a simple process of elimination, you'll know which one is a lie. And if you want the answers, hang out until the end of the episode, and we'll do a recap to see how well you did. One last thing real quick. If you ever wanted to get more based on a true story, you can by helping to support the show. There's no tiers or anything like that on Patreon. It's completely pay what you want. So $1 a month, $5 a month, the choice is yours. And as a way of saying thanks for your support, no matter what you choose, you'll get access to all of the bonus episodes. Some weeks, they're supplemental material to these full-length episodes, and other weeks, they're fun little mini-sodes where we'll take a look at how history is portrayed in entirely fictional films like The Rocketeer, Twister, or most recently, 
the Nick Cage classic film, National Treasure. <laughs> and uh, you can learn more about that over at basedonatruestorypodcast.com slash support. Once again, that's basedonatruestorypodcast.com slash support. I mean, Nick Cage is essentially a national treasure, right? <laughs> All right. Now, let's begin our story today as we compare history with 1987's Empire of the Sun. The movie begins with some text scrolling on screen as a voiceover reads it. It says that in 1941, China and Japan had been in a state of war for four years. The Japanese army was in control of much of China's countryside and cities, while in Shanghai, there were thousands of Westerners who lived in the international settlement, many of whom had lived there since the British set up the settlement in the 19th century. Inside the settlement, there was peace despite war breaking out around them, thanks to diplomatic security. But then, at least according to the movie, that diplomatic security was about to expire as the Japanese were waiting for something only they knew was coming. Pearl Harbor. All of that is true. As we touched on in the introduction to this episode, it was in 1937 when war broke out between China and Japan. Specifically, most historians point to the Marco Polo Bridge incident that took place on July 7, 1937 as the trigger for the war. If you listen to episode 71 about the movie Ip Man, we talked more about that incident over there, so I won't really repeat it here, but even though that was when the war officially began, there had been skirmishes between the Chinese and Japanese for years before the Marco Polo Bridge incident. After all-out war began, the Japanese rolled through China. One of the major victories the Japanese won took place between August and November of 1937, or more specifically, August 13th through November 26th. During those three months, one week, and six days, about a million troops battled for the city of Shanghai. The Japanese were vastly outnumbered, with some 300,000 troops compared to China's 700,000 in defense. But the Japanese had far superior technology, the Chinese lost a quarter of a million men, while the Japanese losses were only around 100,000. Only. I'm sure it's no surprise that I believe we can learn from history. And that includes my own personal history, too. You know how your phone will remind you of photos that you took on this day a few years ago? Well, I just had one pop up and it reminded me of a time a few years ago when my daughter and I were heading out on a four hour drive to a state park. And it couldn't have been more like 10 minutes into the drive when my check engine light turned on and my car just started shaking really, really bad. Needless to say, we ended up spending the rest of the day at the mechanic instead of the park. Not only was that day ruined, but all of a sudden I had a huge unexpected bill to figure out how to pay. And I really wish I had known about today's sponsor then because that would have relieved a lot of stress. Earn In helps alleviate financial anxiety by giving you access to your pay as you work instead of waiting for the next paycheck. You can get up to $100 a day or up to $750 per pay period. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, Type in True Story under podcast when you sign up, and it'll really help the show. True Story under podcast. 
Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. Thanks, Earn In. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. After defeating the Chinese in Shanghai, the Japanese moved swiftly into China's capital, Nanking. That fell in about two weeks. The movie is correct in stating, though, that the Shanghai International Settlement was left out of the bloodshed around it. Oh, sure, there were skirmishes that broke out between the Japanese and Chinese rebels that would sometimes get near the settlement's borders, but for the most part, the settlement was immune. There are some who estimated that about 1.5 million Chinese lived in the settlement as a way of avoiding the conflict about a million going before the Japanese even took over Shanghai, and about another half million after the attack. By the time 1940 rolled around, some of the British commanders must have seen the writing on the wall because they started moving their military forces out of the international settlement. Most of them ended up leaving by August of that year, but there are some who stayed behind, although there were mostly only civilians left. In fact, there were only a couple military ships left in port. That would be the British ship HMS Petrol and the American ship USS Wake, even though those ships had been reduced to almost no crew. Their primary purpose in being left behind was mostly to communicate what was happening in Shanghai with the rest of the Allies. As for the movie's claim that the Japanese were waiting for Pearl Harbor to enter the settlement, that is true as well. But... That's getting a little bit ahead of our story. So let's hop back into the movie to be introduced to our main character, Jamie Graham. He's played by a 13-year-old Christian Bale. And as a fun bit of trivia, not his first acting role, but certainly his first major role in a movie. Early on, we see a few different scenes to set up young Jamie's life in Shanghai. And it's a nice life. At one point, we see Jamie open up the refrigerator in their home to see all sorts of luxurious foods. Cakes, pies, cheeses, bacon, and some huge piece of meat that looks like some sort of a shank or something. It's pretty clear that they're living well. And I don't think we can really expect the specifics of these scenes to be too accurate, but the gist of what they're trying to convey is correct. As we learned in the introduction, the character of Jamie Graham is based on the book's author, J.G. Ballard, or James Graham Ballard. Growing up in Shanghai, James was relatively sheltered from what most of the world in the 1920s and 30s considered, quote, the wickedest city in the world, end quote. That would be Shanghai. A large part of that was due to his father's occupation as a businessman running a textile factory in Shanghai. His mother, meanwhile, wasn't involved in the business, but seemed to enjoy the life of lavish parties. Oh, and even though the movie mentions Jamie's mother and father as being John and Mary, that's not their real names. John Graham is played by Rupert Fraser, while Mary is played by Emily Richard, by the way. But in truth, 
James Ballard's father was also named James, while his mother was named Edna. Back in the movie, the movie doesn't do a very good job of giving us an overall view of the timeline, but we can start to piece it together based on a couple of key things. First, there's a scene where we see Jamie's family dress up and go to a Christmas party at a friend's house. As a little bit of fun movie trivia for you, one of the guests in the background wearing a red coat and a top hat was none other than James Graham Ballard himself, the guy who wrote the book that the movie is based on, and, of course, the real Jim who lived in the settlement as a child. Right after the party, we get an even bigger indication of the timeline when we see the Japanese make their way into the Shanghai International Settlement itself. If you remember, the movie mentions that the Japanese were waiting for Pearl Harbor to move into the settlement. And that's how we can compare the timeline in the movie here to history. Because that's true. At 7.48 a.m. on December 7, 1941, the Japanese commenced their attack on Pearl Harbor. At least, that's 7.48 local time in Pearl Harbor. In Shanghai, that would have been about 1.48 a.m. in the morning. Except Shanghai is on the other side of the international dateline, so that would have been 1.48 a.m. on the following day, December 8th. So, while most residents were in their beds, and before they would have heard any news about what was going on in Pearl Harbor, the Japanese began yet another invasion as they moved into the international settlement. About three hours later, shortly after 4 a.m., the crews on board HMS Petrol and USS Wake started to hear the first reports of the attack on Pearl Harbor. It had to have been a surprise. Were they hearing this right? Wait, if that happened, the international settlement is surrounded by the Japanese that had already taken over the rest of Shanghai. Could they be next? But there was no time to react. The Japanese were already on their way across the diplomatic borders, and that included the two military ships in the harbor. That's when the USS Wake, a ship who was launched in Shanghai in 1926 and never once sailed in American waters, became the only U.S. Navy ship to surrender during World War II when Japanese Marines forced the men on board into a situation where there was no other option. Not a single shot was fired. Her ally in the harbor, the HMS Petrol, refused to surrender, though. Instead, she made a mad dash down the river. But the Japanese had anticipated one or both ships trying to run, so they opened fire and the Petrol sank to her final resting place. I found some conflicting reports about survivors, with some sources claiming only six of the 14 men on board survived, while others said it was six who were killed and the rest were taken prisoners of war. The details don't change the outcome. The international settlement fell to the Japanese very easily that day. Back in the movie, we see all of this happen from the perspective of Jamie's family. As the Ballard family descends the stairs to join the throngs of people pouring out onto the street, Jamie asks his mom if he'll be going to school today. No, Jamie, there will be no school today, his mom replies. While the situation was different than what we see in the movie, the end result was very similar. According to James Ballard's biography, it was on December 8th, a Monday, that he asked his father if he'd be going to school that day. With the school year winding down for Christmas break, that was the day that they would be starting their exams. No, his father told him, there won't be school today. No more exams. As a child, it's not like James could have grasped the gravity of what was happening, but he was happy 
to not go to school. That would change. The movie makes it seem like the Ballard family gets separated right after the Japanese entered the settlement. We see Christian Bale's version of Jamie gets separated from his mother and his father in the crowds of panicking people. It happens when Jamie drops his toy airplane. He lets go of his mom's hand for a moment, just a moment, to grab it from the ground. And when he stands back up, his mom is nowhere to be found. Standing on a car, Jamie sees her. The crowd is pushing too strong, and she can't get back to him. So she calls to him, telling him to go back to their house. So, Jamie does. But his mom and dad aren't there. The movie doesn't give us any sort of indication of time, but we can tell it's passing from a montage of shots. The montage shows Jamie roaming around the house all alone. He's drinking some of the last water he can find, playing with his dad's pipe, devouring some chocolates that he finds, riding the bike through the house, something his parents would probably disapprove of. And perhaps one of the biggest indications of time passing is the water line of the pool out back. The pool that was once filled to the top is now almost completely empty. There's only a little puddle left at the deepest part. While it is true that a lot of those living in the international settlement were imprisoned after Pearl Harbor, it's not true that the Ballard family was among them. In fact, James lived with his parents at their home until March of 1943. Years later, James would guess that it was probably because there were a lot of Swedish and Swiss nationals living in the Shanghai International Settlement. As such, the Japanese didn't treat them as badly as they did the British and Americans. So, for lack of a better term, for the years immediately following the attack on Pearl Harbor, it's mostly a matter of luck that the Ballards were allowed to live in their home. Going back to the movie's timeline, After Jamie gets fed up living at home alone and with a dwindling supply of food there, he tries to surrender to the Japanese. But they don't seem interested in a British kid throwing his hands up in front of their marching soldiers. There is someone who is, though. That would be a random boy who keeps chasing Jamie. The chase happens for quite some time until he finally catches up with him in the alley and the boy starts stealing Jamie's boots. A woman appears and starts hitting the boy, which causes just enough of a distraction to let Jamie slip away, and he runs out into the street right in front of a truck. And that's how we meet the driver of the truck, Frank Demarest. He's played by Joe Pantoliano. Now, Frank takes Christian Bale's version of Jamie off to meet yet another major character in the film, Basie. He's played by John Malkovich. It's here that Frank and Basie, who are both Americans, by the way, decide to rename Jamie to Jim. Frank... Basie and the newly nicknamed Jim went to his house where Jim convinced the two Americans that there would be plenty of things they could scavenge. But when they get there, they find the Japanese have taken over the home. That's when the three get captured and taken to the internment camp. Well, as we already learned, Jamie is really based on James Graham Ballard, so Jim would have already been the nickname for him anyway. As for the characters of Frank and Basie, they're fictional. And seeing as they're a big part of the story from here on out in the movie, probably gives you an idea of how realistic the rest of the movie is. So, what really happened then? Well, we've already learned a few of the pieces. For example, after the Japanese took over the international settlement on December 8th, 1941, the Ballard family continued to live in their home for a couple more years. We also learned that James was not separated from his family at that time. 
But it was in March of 1943 that the Ballard family was among many other foreign civilians who were taken from the Shanghai International Settlement to a new camp called the Lunghua Civil Assembly Center that was built on the grounds of a former school. In fact, the location of the center is where the Shanghai High School lives today. For a bit of geographical reference, the center is on the south side of downtown Shanghai and about 23 miles or 38 kilometers to the north of the Pacific Ocean. That's also about three miles or five kilometers from where the Shanghai Longhua Airport is. Well, today it's the Shanghai Longhua Airport. But then again, there have been various spellings of the town in the area going back before World War II, at least the translated version of the town's name. There would be L-U-N-G-H-U-A, L-U-N-G-H-W-A, L-O-N-G-H-U-A, a lot of different spellings and so on. Oh, and not only was James with his mother and father at this time, but the movie never shows that James wasn't an only child. He had a four-year-old sister named Margaret who was taken to the camp with them. The lead-up to people being taken to Longhua was unfortunately a familiar scene for anyone with knowledge of camps during World War II. After Pearl Harbor, the Japanese didn't go around rounding up foreign citizens in the international settlement right away. They did make the British and Americans register their businesses, though. I couldn't find anything to show that James Ballard Sr. did this for his textile factory, but it would make sense if he did. As time went on, these foreign citizens, labeled as potentially hostile, weren't allowed to go to bars, clubs, theaters, and so on. Lots of businesses were pressured to refuse their patronage. How did these businesses know they were hostile citizens? Well, the Japanese required that they wear armbands with a letter on them. A for American, B for British, and so on. Toward the end of 1942, the Japanese started to take things from their homes. Radios, cameras, and other things that were prohibited for these hostile citizens. Then, in February of 1943, the Japanese began rounding up the rest of these citizens from foreign countries deemed hostile to put them into the internment camps. It was a sunny day in March of 1943 when the four members of the Ballard family joined other foreign citizens around the swimming pool of Shanghai's American Club. They knew they were waiting to go to Longhua. Some of the people there thought the war would be over in a matter of days, so they didn't even bother to pack anything. Of course, we know from history that the war lasted a little longer than a few days after March of 1943. Even though many of the scenes with the fictional Frank and Basie in the movie are made up, some of them are based on young James's life at Longhua. For example, when we head back into the movie's timeline, there's a moment where we see Christian Bale's version of Jim running from person to person in the camp. He trades cigarettes for a couple of tomatoes and a half a head of cabbage. The cabbage, he runs over to a woman, ironing some clothes. He hands her the head of cabbage, and she quickly hides it under her hat. Then, he runs over to a boy and gives him a piece of gum and trade for a pair of boots. The boots get delivered to a Japanese officer, and Jim sneaks a bar of soap into his pocket in exchange. As this continues, we see some text on screen that says, Suchow Creek Internment Camp, 1945. We're two years after we know the real Ballard family was sent to the camp. Those specific scenes in a montage are made up, but the basic gist is true. Although, as we learned, the real James Ballard didn't stay at the Suchow Creek internment camp like the movie shows. Instead, he was at the Longhua, which is about 60 miles or 90 kilometers to the east of Suchow Creek. 
Despite the location difference, James Ballard spent a lot of his time at Longhua running errands, trading this trinket for that one. But it wasn't always about trinkets. As the war raged on outside the camp, inside the camp, the availability of food grew more and more scarce. In the movie, we see the camp as a series of single-story buildings that are spaced far apart. Outside the camp, there's a few different scenes where we can clearly see an airfield just on the other side of the barbed wire fence. Probably the most inaccurate part of the look of the camp in the movie is that, well, it didn't look anything like it did in the movie. As we learned earlier, Lunghua used to be a school before it was converted to the internment camp, and as such, it resembled what James would later refer to as a half-ruined college campus. Some buildings were damaged or just destroyed. The rubble left where they once stood. The primary buildings where the internees stayed were two- or three-story buildings filled with small rooms that were once classrooms back when the campus was a school. In fact, if you want to know what they look like today, just do a search online for the Shanghai High School. One of the primary buildings that will come up in that search is the big three-story gray building with a yellowish brick entrance. That's one of the buildings used to house internees during World War II at the Longhua Camp. I'll make sure to add a link to a photo of it on this episode's page over at basedonatruestorypodcast.com as well. And for the most part, even though it was technically imprisonment there, and there were some Japanese guarding the buildings surrounded by a barbed wire, the movie is correct in showing that it wasn't the same as other prison camps during World War II. The Japanese left most of the details of running the camp to the people in the camp themselves. Seeing as Shanghai and most of China around them was all occupied by Japan, and the Chinese in the camp weren't soldiers to begin with, they apparently weren't much of a risk for escape. And for good reason. Looking back on it, James Ballard recalled more than a few times when a ball or a kite would make its way beyond the barbed wire fence. He'd simply go through the fence, retrieve it, and then head back in. Thanks to his errands and love of exploring the camp, something his parents let him do, James earned a name for himself in the camp. He made a lot of friends there, and for the most part, he seemed to enjoy his time at Longhua. Sure, it wasn't the life he had before, but considering what was going on around the world, it wasn't as bad as others were experiencing during World War II. Oh, and remember the airfield the movie shows just on the other side of the camp? Well, there was one there, but it wasn't right on the other side of the fence like the movie shows. Remember earlier when we learned that the camp was about three miles from the Shanghai Longhua Airport, where that is now? Well, that was the airfield that the Japanese used, so it was more like five kilometers from the camp. Not quite as close as the movie makes it seem. Speaking of which, back in the movie, we see the first Allied forces at the camp when a squadron of American P-51 Mustangs burst into view after shooting a Japanese Zero out of the sky. Christian Bale's version of Jim, who throughout the entire movie had been fascinated by the Japanese, is thrilled with the American fighter, especially when one of the pilots waves at Jim. That didn't happen, but it is true that P-51 Mustangs attacked Longhua. More specifically, it was the airfield that was the target, not the camp. So it wasn't right on the other side of the fence, as we learned earlier. As the war continued, conditions at the Longhua camp got worse. For lack of a better way to put it, the Japanese had higher priorities than the people in the camp. Food, which had already been a prized commodity compared to what they were used to, became even more scarce. The location of the camp happened to be in an area with a lot of mosquitoes. As such, malaria was a big problem for those in the camp throughout the duration of the war. 
And as the Japanese started to neglect the camp in favor of what they no doubt saw as higher priorities, access to supplies started to dry up as well. Now, we haven't really talked about the events going on outside the camp, and the movie doesn't either, but for the sake of context, let's get an idea of what's happening around this time. If you remember, earlier in the movie when Jim was running errands around the camp, we saw some text on screen that mentioned the year was 1945. By that point in the war, the Allies had made some headway against the Japanese in the Pacific. After the Japanese managed to force the Allies from the Philippines and the East Indies, the Allies retaliated with a series of campaigns that saw major victories for the Allies. The Aleutian Islands, Guadalcanal, the Solomon Islands, New Guinea, the Philippines, and so on. Even with stiff Japanese resistance, the Allies were pushing their way toward the Japanese homeland. Meanwhile, in China, the Allies were not having as much success. Having dug themselves in for three long years, the Japanese defended China. But the Allies kept pushing. And it was in the summer of 1944 when the Allies began their air raids on Shanghai. P-51 Mustangs and P-38 Lightnings swarmed the skies, strafing the runway and nearby Japanese defenses. Even though the airfield was a few miles from the camp where James was at, it's not surprising that he would have seen the battle take place in the skies. And he was mesmerized by them. All his childhood, James was fascinated by the Japanese. They had what must have seemed like amazing technology to a boy who grew up in Shanghai. But the fascination he had with the Japanese military disappeared when the American planes started to show up. As James would later say, Japan was the past. The American planes were the future. As the movie comes to a close, we see the Allies liberate the camp. Christian Bale's version of Jim gets taken in by members of the American army, and he gets sent to an orphanage for children who are prisoners of war. It's here, in a very sentimental ending scene, that he's reunited with his mom and dad. That didn't happen. As we already learned, James was in the Longhui camp with his sister and parents the entire time, so there wasn't a reunion after the war ended. Toward the end of 1944, the Axis powers were on the verge of collapse. If you remember from history, Operation Overlord, or D-Day, was on June 6, 1944. By the end of the year, the last counteroffensive from the Germans in the Ardennes failed. Allies began pushing through Germany and Italy, and on May 7, 1945, Germany signed a total and unconditional surrender. After this, the Allies turned their full might to the war with Japan. And, with the Allies already making good progress in the Pacific theater, it was only a matter of time before the Allies would emerge victorious. On July 27, 1945, the Allies called for the unconditional surrender of Japan. That was rejected. On August 6th, the Allies dropped an atomic bomb on the city of Hiroshima, with another dropped three days later on Nagasaki. Hundreds of thousands of people were killed, and nine days later, on August 15, 1945, Japan surrendered. Documents of surrender were officially signed on September 2, 1945, aboard the USS Missouri in Tokyo Bay. As for James Ballard, it was in the early days of August 1945 when everyone in the Lunghua camp assembled for roll call in the same way they did for years before. This time, though, the Japanese guards weren't there. 
Many people, including James, thought perhaps the Japanese had surrendered. But, as it turned out, the Japanese around the camp didn't seem to care about that. The war was obviously near its end, and the mood in the camp was tense. Was it over? Or was it not? They knew something was going on, but they didn't have access to a lot of outside news. Some of the people in the camp tried to leave, but were returned a few hours later, badly beaten by the Japanese army. As August came to an end, James grew tired of the tension in the camp. It didn't help that an American bomber had dropped some supplies. The ravished internees in the camp hoarded the supplies, guarding them against others in the camp. That's when James decided he'd walk the few miles to the home he'd grown up in. And so, without telling his parents where he was going, that's what he did. And he made it, too. When he arrived at his home, there was someone living in there. He rang the doorbell, pushing past the person as he made his way inside. They fled the house, leaving James to survey the house he once knew as his home. And, as far as he could tell, it was exactly as it had been when he left. Almost as if nothing had happened. That had to have been kind of an eerie feeling. James ended up returning to the camp and to his family. Many of the internees in the camp stayed there until they thought it would be safe to return home. Japan may have surrendered, but many troops still held to their previous orders. By the time September rolled around, though, the Ballards returned to their home. As American and Allied military men began to flood Shanghai, the city changed into something new. James would later admit to missing his time in the camp. He'd made friends there, had his formative years there, and learned more about life than one could have hoped for in that time. With 1945 coming to an end, James, his sister, and his mother took a ship to England. His father decided to stay, though, no doubt to help rebuild his company. It would be years before James would see his dad again. This episode of Based on a True Story was written and produced by me, Dan Lefebvre. If you want to learn more about what it was like for James, better known as J.G. Ballard, during his childhood in Shanghai, I would really recommend reading his autobiography called Miracles of Life, Shanghai to Shepparton. Of course, there is also the book that the movie is based on called Empire of the Sun, but keep in mind, that's a novel. It's based on James' childhood experiences, but it's not the autobiography that Miracles of Life is. Did you find something you want to learn more about? Or maybe there's something you think happened differently. Now's your turn to do your own deep dive into the story. I'll have links to both of those books and plenty more resources to help you get started over at basedonatruestorypodcast.com. Okay, now it's time for the answer to our two truths and a lie game from the beginning of the episode. As a refresher, here are the two truths and one lie. Number one, James was not separated from his family before going to the internment camp. Number two, the Japanese took over the Shanghai International Settlement right after the attack on Pearl Harbor. Number three, Basie was killed soon after arriving at the internment camp. Did you find out which one is a lie? The lie is number three. As we learned, Basie and his sidekick, Frank, were both fictional characters. 
So they couldn't have been killed because they weren't real to begin with. And that brings us to an end of our story today, but there's always more history to learn. If you want to help support the show and get access to bonus episodes such as The Minisodes, where we're looking at how history is portrayed in fictional movies like Twister, Back to the Future, and The Pirates of the Caribbean, you can learn how to sign up to be a producer over at basedonatruestorypodcast.com slash support. Once again, that's basedonatruestorypodcast.com slash support. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll chat with you again really soon. <laughs>